Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your favorite creepypasta podcast, Pasta Time Podcast. You're here with me, AJ Wozniczenski, and today's going to be a very special show for me because this is one of my favorite creepypastas of all time. We're going to be reading The Crawl Space by Katie H. This is uh, actually, I think, the second creepypasta I ever read, and I just loved it, love it up to this day, so... I hope it holds up. Last time I read it was quite a while ago, so I'm assuming it's still pretty good. But that's not all I have for you guys today. We also have another installment of Dream Theater, because I had a fucking frightening dream this past week. And also, I'm going to be rating and reviewing one of the greatest podcasts ever. Just the first season of it, though. It's uh, We're Alive. So if you don't know what this is, it's a podcast, like I just said, but it's pretty much like a survival zombie story. So it reads a lot like an audiobook, but it's extremely long and extremely fucking awesome. We'll have more about that later on. But before we get into all that, the horror fix and everything, I just want to talk about my amazing garage sale finds this past weekend. If you've been listening to the show, you know that I often go garage sailing, and I came out with a few more gems this, uh, this past weekend, so I'll talk about them here. The first thing I want to talk about is the PS2 controller I got. It's a, C- a clear blue one, and it's brand new to me, and it's just amazing. Works perfect. Only paid four bucks for that. I also got uh, the book How to Tell If Your Cat Is Trying to Kill You, which is a hilarious book. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you do, or at least walk into the bookstore and flip to the pink pages in the book, because those pages tell you how to find out if your cat's a homosexual or not, and they are hysterical. Next item, I got Cliffhanger for the Super Nintendo, and that is just fucking crazy. Uh, based, of course, off the Sylvester Stallone movie from 1993, which was like a $60 million movie or something, $100 million. Crazy, but the game is very hard. I just tried playing it the other day, and holy shit, I guess it doesn't help that my controller's broken, so I can't move to the left, but maybe I'll just go buy a new controller and it'll be a lot easier. But that's really it out of the stuff I got garage sailing. But if you want to check out what my buddy Dan got, check out the Pop Culture Convo Instagram page. He got some pretty cool horror-related books and VHSs, so make sure you check that out. That's at Pop Culture Convo. So enough about this garage sale fun. It's time to get in to our horror, horror fix. So I have some extremely sad news for this installment of Horror Fix. The slated revamp of the amazing Stephen King book It has been shelved indefinitely. This is because the director that was poised to direct the two-film take on uh, Stephen King's amazing book has dropped out. He's quit the project. And if you don't know which director that was, it was uh, Kerry Fukunaga. He directed the first season of True Detective, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. I mean, so I had 100% faith that this would have been an amazing take on the movie It, or the book, whatever his take would have been. It would have been amazing. So it's just a hard pill to swallow for me, but there wasn't really a specific reason stated why he dropped out. I'm assuming it was because of uh, budget concerns with New Line. I mean, there were a couple of things that came out, like how Kerry Fukunaga wanted Ben Mendelsohn to play Pennywise, but he was a little bit out of the price range for New Line. They wanted him to take a pay cut to take the role, so... Why would he really do that? And instead they got Will Poulter. And also Fukunaga wanted to shoot in upstate New York. And New Line shut that down as well. So I'm assuming more stuff like that kept happening. And it was probably just affecting Carrie's vision for the 
for the movie too much. So that's probably why he dropped out. It just sucks because this is shelved indefinitely. New Line said they weren't going to rush out and find a new director. But I hope they find somebody, and if they do find someone, hopefully they're good. So that was very disappointing to me. But at least there is some news that came out that cheered me up. The PS4 exclusive horror game, Until Dawn, has just announced its release date, at least in the UK anyways, as well as a new trailer, which just looks fucking creepy, scary, and awesome. I've talked about this game before on the podcast, but if you haven't uh, heard about it yet, it's uh, these kids go up to this cabin for a weekend of fun, and of course shit goes down, people start getting murdered, and there's a bunch of different ways and scenarios you can go through, and it all is dictated by the decisions you make in the game. The graphics look amazing, and I just... Oh, it looks like a crazy psychological thriller just filled with gore as well. And it looks amazing. Amazing. That is all I have to say about this. Looks amazing. So I need to get my PS4 before August 28th, which I will. I've actually made a deal with myself that I'm going on a diet just off of fast food and chocolate bars because I tend to eat way too much of both of the things. And if I can do that for over a month, I'm going to allow myself to pick up a PS4. So just got to have that willpower, and I will be playing until dawn in a few months. Oh, I just want to play it. But that does it for the horror fix. Now let's get into the part that you've all been waiting for. Let's read The Crawl Space by KDH. <sighs> Um, hi there. I guess you could say I'm writing this as a cautionary tale to those who plan on studying abroad in the future. I don't mean to discourage you from going in the first place. It's more like I just want you to be aware so something like this doesn't happen to you. I guess I should explain a little bit. Last summer, I was selected to participate in a study abroad program that would be centered in Rome for several months. Like anyone would be, I was elated. I had never been out of the States before so this was going to be a real adventure for me. In the weeks that followed, I happily packed everything and anything I could fit into my suitcase. I'll be the first to admit that I had way overpacked for this trip. I was nervous about leaving my parents for the first time, but I was also excited for the newfound freedom I would have while in Europe. Before I knew it, my parents were dropping me off at the airport, and I was boarding a 19-hour flight to Rome. Despite being long and tedious, the flight wasn't all that bad. When I exited the airport, I was greeted by the program supervisor and several other students who would be studying with me. They were about the same age and all looked as excited as me. From there, we went to our mandatory orientation meeting, and afterwards we went to pick up our apartment keys. In the months that preceded the trip, we were responsible for getting to know our would-be roommates, as well as finding a place to stay that we could all afford. There were three girls I was staying with. They were all nice enough and made an effort to make me feel welcome, though I will admit it's a bit hard to get close to a group of preformed friends. But despite my slight alienation, it seemed that things were all going to work out well. All of us were on a similar budget plan, and by that I mean none of us really had any money to spend. Because of this, we were all on the same page while searching for the cheapest apartment we could find. After several days of searching, we stumbled across an ad for an ancient apartment located above the Campo de Fiori. That was a prime location, and we couldn't believe that it was still available, no less listed for an unbelievably low price. This immediately sent alarm bells off in my head. This place was enormous, yet the rent was cheaper than much smaller apartments in a far less desirable part of town. However, 
reason never really wins out in a group of excited young women. They had already made up their minds, and if I would be staying with them, this was my only option. We each received our own set of keys, as well as a map with walking directions. Because of its prime location, it really didn't take us long to get there. The campo was amazing. During the daytime, it was filled with a vibrant market, while during the evening, it was lined with lively street performers. All of the apartments surrounding it looked to be ancient, so ours really didn't stand out that much. After circling the square three or four times, we finally noticed the number nailed to the front of a massive old wooden door. This would be our home for the next three months. I fought with my keys for a moment, until there was an audible click of the heavy old lock. The thick old door swung forward with a screech. We were then met with a long and winding staircase. We all looked at one another and groaned. None of us had accounted for the fact that the building had been constructed before elevators were common. So three sets of stairs and countless complaints later, all four of us with luggage in hand stood outside our new front door. Once again, I reached for my set of keys and fought with the stubborn lock. As soon as the front door was open, there was a stampede of young women trying to claim the best rooms. Being a three-bedroom apartment, it meant that two of us would have to share. I personally didn't really care, so I let the others battle it out. When the dust had settled, I found that I would be sharing a room with a girl called Stephanie. That was fine with me. Stephanie was nice enough, and she was also very quiet, my ideal feature in a roommate. Over the course of the rest of the day, we ran around exploring our new home. There were two bedrooms, a full kitchen, and a living room with an ancient TV. Once again, I began to feel uneasy. Just how was it that we were able to get all of this for such a low price? But before I could finish the thought, I was interrupted by a fit of loud squealing. My initial reaction was to panic. However, I soon learned that all the noise was from excitement. Down at the other end of the apartment near the front door, apparently there was another part of the flat that we had missed. I followed the noise until it led me to a long, dark hallway. There at the end, behind a group of squealing women, was a washing and drying machine. For those of you thinking, what's the big deal? I should explain that these things are incredibly rare in Rome. Generally, exchange students have to wash their clothes by hand in the sink before hanging them up to dry. What was a luxury item like this doing in such a cheap apartment? Just as the screaming quelled, it picked right back up as soon as the girls noticed a door adjacent to the washing machine. Beyond that door was a master bathroom. It had a balcony, a claw foot tub, and even a bidet. The girls immediately started fighting over whose bathroom it was going to be. I really didn't see why we all couldn't share, but apparently the others were dead set on having ownership. As it turned out, it ended up being my bathroom. Stephanie had made the logical argument that because she and I had to share a bedroom while the other two each got their own, it was only fair that she and I got to share the master bath. And I'll admit at first I was actually kind of excited. It was, after all, a really nice room. However, over the course of the next several weeks, I began to grow more and more wary of the room. I don't know how to put it into words. It's like every time I went into the room, I could feel something's eyes on me. And the voyeuristic element wasn't really what had me so unnerved. It felt like whatever was watching me was angry. That it didn't want me there. And that it wanted to hurt me. I began doing everything in my power to avoid that room. 
I asked Alicia if she would mind if I would use her restroom occasionally. I made up some lame excuse about how it was far more convenient since her room was so close while my bathroom was at the other end of the flat and at the very end of the long hallway. She happily agreed though when I told her that she could use my bathroom anytime she liked. That worked well for a while. For about the first two months of my trip, I was able to completely avoid that eerie room. It wasn't until my final month that everything began to unravel. One night, as I prepared to brush my teeth, I found that Alicia was already occupying her bathroom. I could hear giggles coming from down the hallway, so it was clear that Stephanie and our other roommate were both getting ready for bed in the master bath. I decided that since there was strength in numbers, it would be alright just for tonight. So I made my way down to the large bathroom where I joined the boisterous girls in brushing my teeth. They were in the midst of some conversation when Lindsay, our other roommate, had broken into such a furious fit of laughter that she had to lean on the wall for support. But suddenly, she jolted upright as if she'd been shocked. We all looked at what had been the cause of her reaction. There on the wall, about the same level as the bathtub, was a tiny door. None of us had noticed it before because it was the same color as the wall. The landlord had even painted over it. Naturally, this made me a bit nervous. Whatever it was, the landlord clearly didn't want anyone opening it. But as usual, throwing all caution to the wind, Lindsay reached for the handle and began tugging with all her might. Stephanie clunked her tongue in disapproval before pulling out a small pocket knife. She began delicately carving along the seam of the door. I wanted to beg her to stop but I really didn't have the energy to argue that night. So within a few minutes, Lindsay had yanked the little door open with a loud crack. It was a crawl space. It was fairly large. My guess would have been that you could have fit at least three or four people in there. I was rather curious as to why the landlord would have sealed up an empty little room. While I thought about this, Stephanie and Lindsay began calling for Alicia to come see their new discovery. She was just as excited as they were when they first discovered it. However, as to be expected, this excitement waned over time, and eventually the crawl space was just turned into storage for a few towels and a laundry basket. In the following days after the unsealing of the crawl space, things started to go from eerie to downright terrifying. Annoyingly, Alicia had changed her nightly routine so that I could no longer use her bathroom in the evenings. Once again, I was back in the large bathroom, all the while, the feeling that I was being watched growing worse and worse. I began to get so paranoid each time I went into that room that I would literally jump at the slightest noise of pipes setting, and as soon as I was finished, I would run at full speed down the hallway and close the door behind me. For some reason, I seemed to be the only one feeling this way. It's not like I could have told the other girls either. I was already enough of an outcast as it was, so I just kept to myself and hoped it would eventually just go away. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. One night as I was getting ready for bed, I found myself alone in the bathroom. As I stood in front of the mirror brushing my teeth, something set the hairs on my back and neck straight up. There was a faint rustling noise, not the kind that could have been caused by my roommates at the other end of the flat. Any noises caused by them would have had to have been quite loud to reach me all the way at the end of the long hallway. No, this noise was very faint the sound of someone gingerly shuffling things around. I stood completely silent, terror filling me. The soft rustling noise was coming from inside the crawl space. I turned on my heels and ran down the hallway to grab the attention of my roommates. I tried to explain to them what had happened, 
but all that came out were incoherent murmurs. Eventually, I managed to stutter, something something's inside the crawl space. They looked at me with fear and confusion in their eyes. As a pack, we moved together down the hallway into the bathroom. I nearly fainted when I saw the tiny door hanging fully ajar. Though this discovery filled me with horror, Alicia immediately pointed to the balcony's sliding door. Stephanie had left it open to air out the bathroom after having taken a shower several hours ago. She peeked her head out the door and pointed to a slanted rooftop adjacent to ours. There was a pigeon's nest occupied by a few birds. The girls surmised that a pigeon must have found its way in and was the cause of the disturbance. They all had a good laugh as we made our way back to the living room. I pretended to shake it off, but I knew it was not a pigeon that caused that rustling noise. First off, the tiny door had been shut tight all day. None of us really cared to leave it open because it smelled quite musty inside. And secondly, the door had been shut when I left the bathroom. I'm certain of this. Yet there it was, wide open when I returned. You're not going to tell me that a pigeon knows how to and is capable of opening and closing a door all by itself. It was at this point that I began to suspect that something was terribly wrong with this apartment. When I got back to my room, I pulled out my laptop and called my best friend via Skype. She had always been the skeptical and methodical type. However, she also kept an open mind towards things that were hard to explain. As I expected, she was initially quite doubtful, though she also agreed with me that a pigeon was quite not likely the source. She then asked me if I had any photos of the crawl space. She said that if she could see it, that would help her understand a little more clearly and possibly help her come up with a more logical explanation. Relieved at her willingness to at least hear me out, I reached for my camera and made my way back down that eerie hallway. When I arrived, I found to my relief that the door was still closed. I stood in front of it for a moment, gathering my nerve before finally pulling that little door open. Despite the clutter left inside by my roommates, it was empty. I snapped a quick photo before closing the door once more and running back to my room. I immediately plugged my camera into the computer and uploaded the photo. When I finally opened the image, I was petrified by what I saw. There in the upper right-hand corner was a face baring its teeth at me. My whole body began violently shaking. Dear God, this thing is in our home, I muttered to myself. Fear began to overtake me. Someone had sealed whatever it was inside of that crawl space, and we had let it out. I was so absorbed in my panic that I didn't even notice when my roommate returned. She was so blissfully unaware of the imminent danger we were in, yet even if I tried to warn her, she would not believe me. I was at a loss of what to do, and finally decided I would deal with it in the morning. Though not by a large amount, I did feel braver in the sunlight. From there, I attempted to get some sleep, though for the first time ever since being there, I closed and bolted my door before getting into bed. Stephanie eyed me suspiciously while doing so. But I just told her jokingly that Lindsay had been sneaking into our room the previous nights and had been stealing my Nutella. She laughed heartedly, shaking her head before settling down for the night. I will admit that the only reason I was able to find any sleep that night was because of her presence. Something about not being alone can give one a sense of false security. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning when the sound woke me. I had always been a light sleeper, so the faint noise was enough to stir me. It sounded like a door being pushed open at the other end of the flat, followed by footsteps. But these weren't just normal footsteps. They were far too fast. 
It sounded like someone was running at full speed from the foyer to the living room and all about the apartment. But these weren't heavy footfalls like the kind you'd expect from a running person. They were very light, almost unnaturally so. My initial reaction was to assume it was either Alicia or Lindsay, so I got up and stuck my ear to the wall that separated Lindsay's room from mine. I could hear her faint but steady breathing. She was clearly asleep. It wasn't her. I then crossed over to the other side of my room near the door and once again stuck my ear to the wall. Alicia's snoring was quite audible. There's no way it was her. I slowly began to grow fearful as I turned in a last resort to see if Stephanie had perhaps gotten up, but I could plainly see her resting form silently rising up and down. A shiver went down my spine and I nearly screamed when I realized that the footsteps had come to a stop outside my door. Despite all the lights being out, I could clearly see the looming dark shadow of a form through the tiny crack at the foot of my door. I dared not move. Whatever it was, it was just standing there, waiting. Then, to my horror, my doorknob slowly began to jiggle. Gently at first, but then growing violent at the realization of it being locked. The noise of it eventually woke my roommate. She sat up blinking in confusion. That instant, the jiggling of the doorknob stopped. She asked me just what the hell I was doing and if I knew what time it was. I told her it wasn't me. I told her that whatever had opened the door to the crawlspace the previous day had come back, but she just furrowed her brow at me and said that I needed to get more sleep. The next day, I made an appointment with my program supervisor. I told him that I just needed to go home. He tried to tell me that I was just homesick and that it would pass, but I insisted. He eventually gave up and let me call my parents. They were confused, but understanding. They were able to change the date of my return flight to the following morning. I really wanted to get out of there that day, but understand that that was the soonest they could manage. Unfortunately, this meant that I would have to stay one more night in the apartment. When I returned, I tried to tell the others about what had been going on. I knew I was going to be getting out of there and would be out of danger, but I was still immensely worried for their safety. But none of them took me seriously. They looked at me as if I was mad. They didn't say anything, but I was sure they all thought I was going home because of some sort of mental breakdown. At that point, there was nothing I could say that would convince them. So that night, I locked my door and hesitantly went to bed. And right on cue, once again around 2 o'clock in the morning, I was awoken by the rapid footsteps scampering around the apartment. I could hear the door to the bathroom begin to creak open followed by the door at the end of the hallway. The footsteps grew louder and faster as they moved through the apartment. And finally, once more they came to a pause outside of my door. I could hear breathing this time, slow and heavy. I sat up in a panic, and to my horror, I saw that Stephanie had forgotten to lock the door behind her after getting up to use the restroom. It was right outside my door and I did not know if I had time to jump up and try to lock it before the thing realized there was nothing blocking its way. I hesitated a moment too long, and by the time I had sat straight up in bed, the handle slowly began to turn. I froze in terror as the door cracked open, revealing my tormentor. It stood there ominously in the doorway, staring me down. Its eyes protruded slightly from its skull and gave off a very faint, bluish light. It didn't appear to have a nose, only slits where the nostrils should have been. It had the teeth of a man, but had no lips, 
giving it the impression of an eternally toothy snarl. Its grayish-white skin was waxy and stretched tight over its bony face. The rest of its skeletal form was hard to make out as it was almost entirely enveloped in shadows. After pausing for a moment in the doorway, it began to head towards me. As it moved, its body let out sickening cracks. I sat there still petrified by fear until it made its way to the foot of my bed. Its heavy breaths were deafeningly loud. I don't know how Stephanie still slept through it. The air had begun to smell sour and stagnant. With frightening speed, it jolted to the other end of the bed, mere feet from me. I gagged at the smell of it, like sulfur and rotting flesh. Slowly it unfurled one of its long and gnarly hands and proceeded to reach for me. Not until it was several inches away did I finally find my voice. I screamed as loud as I possibly could, and it halted in its tracks. Stephanie shot up from her bed, visibly frightened. The creature hunched over on all fours and fled from the room with unsettling movements that recalled those of a spider. A moment later, Stephanie switched on the light and looked at me furiously. She demanded to know what the fuss was about. I told her exactly what had happened, but she just called me a nutcase. The taxi came to pick me up very early the next morning. The sun had not even risen by the time it arrived. None of the girls came to see me off, but I expected this. After loading my luggage into the trunk, I climbed into the back seat of the old cab. It had driven right through the square and was sitting at the base of my apartment. When I leaned to look out the window, I could see where my room had been. My face contorted into a mixture of panic and concern. There, looking out of my old window, was the creature. Its unblinking eyes bore into me, and its lipless mouth curled into a snarling grin. Before I could say anything, the cab driver had taken off, leaving that hellhouse far behind. I tried to warn them. I really did. I did everything in my power to try to warn them of the danger they were in, but none of them would listen to me. There was no way I could have stopped what happened after I returned home. You see, several weeks after returning to the United States... I received a phone call from the program director. He informed me that a day before the program ended, all three of my past roommates had been reported missing. The authorities had no idea just how long they'd actually been gone for. They had only been discovered missing when the program director went to check on them after none of them made it to the end of the program wrap-up meeting. They assumed it had been at least a week or two, since all the food in the apartment was expired. There was no sign of forced entry, and no valuables were missing. The only notable detail mentioned in the report was that when they arrived at the scene, there was a strange little door hanging ajar in the bathroom. And when they approached it, they were met with a powerful odor coming off no visible source. The official report has them declared as missing, but I know that they're all dead. I know that I'm incredibly lucky to have made it out with my life. I think the only reason I'm still alive today is because I fled thousands of miles and across an ocean. Despite their unwillingness to listen, I still feel an unimaginable amount of guilt over what happened to those girls. That's why I'm writing this now. I may not be able to go back in time and save them, but I maybe can prevent this from happening to you. Please, please heed my warning. If you ever get the opportunity to study abroad, keep this in mind. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. And whatever you do... Don't stay on the third floor of an ancient yellow apartment complex above the Campo de Fiori. There's something there. Something evil. 
And boom goes the dynamite. That was The Crawl Space by KDH, and I still really enjoyed reading that creepypasta, even though I've read it before, and I've said that I enjoyed it, and I still do. Reading it again, though, I've noticed it is a little bit of a slow build, and not very much happens throughout the story. But all in all, it just works. I mean, everything leads up to a good point, a nice conclusion, a good ending. The ending's the most important point of the story. And now I did have some problems with it, like... Um, I probably would have got the fuck out of there right when I saw that picture, um, of the fucking thing in the crawl space. And why don't you just show your roommates the picture of the thing in the crawl space? I mean, you're trying to get them out of there and you said you could do everything possible, but you didn't show them the fucking picture. You show them the picture and they're like, get, let's get the fuck out of here. And still, I don't know why she stayed in there one extra night after seeing that picture. You know, there's some fucking monster in there. Just pay for a fucking hotel for a night. I mean, it's not going to be the end of the world if you spend an extra $100. I mean, max out your visa. Who the fuck cares? But other than that, I didn't really have very many problems with the story. It is a little bit of a slow build, but I love it. Giving it a 7.3 out of 10. Now we still have a couple things to talk about, and I think, you know what, we're going to start with Dream Theater. Welcome to Dream Theater. So a couple nights ago, I had one of the most frightening experience dream-wise in my life. I'm not sure if this was a dream or a night terror, but I'll just tell you about it. So the dream starts with me laying in my bed in complete darkness. I feel like there's a hue in my room that's kind of lighting stuff up, but not fully lighting stuff up. And I see a dark figure right beside me. Instantly, blankets over the head. You're safe under the blankets, just stay there. And as I'm holding these blankets tight to my face, I feel a hand slowly go under the covers and just grab my hand and start pulling. So at this point, I flip the covers open. And have you ever seen the movie A Woman in, or The Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe? It looked eerily similar to that. It was just a girl in this black dress with a fucking black veil over her face, and she screamed at me. And at this point, I freaked out. I was telling myself to wake up in the dream, and I did. And I look around, I'm like, holy fuck, holy fuck, that was scary. And I'm like, just put your head back down on your pillow and go back to bed. So I'm asleep again, or in the in the dream, might have been within a dream. I start feeling that she's still there. So I'm like, oh, fuck this. I get up, I go over to my light switch and turn it on. It's not working. I'm looking around. I'm like, what the fuck? Why isn't this working? So I decide to go to run upstairs. And right, and the whole time I'm telling myself, if this is a dream, wake up. Wake up right now if this is a fucking dream. And I'm walking up the stairs, and then I feel the hand on mine again, and it tugged me backwards. And then I fucking woke up again. And this time I was just looking around my room like, what the fuck just happened? Ugh, just heart-pounding stuff. Very creepy. Dream within a dream. Dreamception. Dreamception of horrors. But probably one of the creepiest dreams I've had this year, and I did not like it. But enough about that dream, because I don't want to relive it anymore. Let's get into the rate and review. So today I am rating and reviewing one of the best podcasts of all time. It's like a TV show for your fucking ears. It's the We Are Alive podcast, 
And I don't really even know where to start. I mean, I guess I'll tell you kind of the story or a loose plot there. I mean, like, a big zombie outbreak happens, of course, at the fucking zombie podcast. And three members of the military, Michael, Angel, and Saul, like, begin to fortify this apartment complex with a bunch of other survivors. But the whole time they're running into all these problems, zombies, other fucking crazy inmates from a prison, all this crazy shit. And... I just love this story. It's It was well-written, well-performed. Uh, the only thing, I don't like the main character, um, I think played by Jim Gleason, Michael. He's like the leader, the sergeant, and he's kind of supposed to be this big boss of a character. But um, he sounds exactly like Taco from The League. If you don't know who that is, that's John LaJoy. You might know him better from the amazing YouTube hit, Show Me Your Genitals. He sounds exactly like him to me, so it always kind of takes me out of it. I just don't believe him as a leader. But other than that, the show's great. There's lots of killing, lots of gore, lots of action. But even if uh, you're not into that kind of stuff, it still has a bunch of good underlying stories, good love stories. It has a little bit of everything for everyone. Now, I don't want to talk too much about the podcast itself. It has a ton of chapters, ton of installments. They're all about 15 to 20 minutes each, except for the very last one from the first season. It is about 30 minutes long, so they're not too long, not too short. They're good length, but I don't want to ruin any major plot points or anything for you. Just make sure you check it out on iTunes. It's We're Alive, and I guess I should rate it, so I'm going to give We're Alive podcast a 9.5 out of 10. It is almost perfect. It's just so entertaining, so great. It's a great way to pass the time at work. I mean, I listened to probably about uh, 20 episodes today, and it just made my day zoom by. So I like that. I like that a lot. If you decide that you like the podcast, We're Alive, they're actually doing another story. They're doing Tales from We're Alive. It's supposedly set about uh, prison. I think it's called Lockdown. And you can actually uh, help fund them at Kickstarter. I mean, I'll give a link to it on the Facebook and Twitter pages. So if you like We're Alive, make sure you check that out as well. And that is about it for the show today. I mean, it's a little shorter than last episode, which was the longest episode of Pass the Time Podcast. I'll top it one day, but I guess just not today. Make sure you like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pasta Podcast, and you know what? Like our YouTube videos, uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, that's just Pasta Time Podcast, and send us some recommendations. Is there any creepy pastas you want to hear? Just send me a recommendation and I will read it for you. I am out of here. Try not to have too many nightmares, my friends.